Hey everyone, how's it going? And welcome back to CityWide Blackout, your home for the best creators from around the world. I'm your host, Max Bowen. And joining me now, this is a book which is really all about the environment and the need to protect it. Author Kimberly Kinney joins me to talk about her recently released book, Artemis Spark and the Sound Seekers Brigade. Kimberly, thanks for joining me and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. All right. So why don't we begin by just talking about just why the environment, why helping environment was such an important cause for you and why you wanted to put it in this new book? Well, I think ever since I was a kid, uh, nature has been my special place. Um, I would say that as a kid, nature basically saved me. Um, being in nature softened the edges of this deep shyness that I had and also um, fear. I had some trauma in my childhood, so being in nature was very soothing. Um, you know, I loved to climb trees and run. I had access to the beach. I could run on the beach. I could walk slowly and, and explore on the beach. All those things sort of um, reminded me of my power and a connection to things bigger than me. Um, you know, the whole cycle of nature and the cycle of life. I'm sure I did not get that intellectually as a child. However, I felt it. I felt that comfort. And so the thought of losing that or seeing it uh, in any sort or seeing it harmed, nature harmed, was something that concerned me greatly. So that's how it, how environment um, or nature itself works, it way, works its way into all of my books, actually. You and I would have been great friends as kids because I was the same way. Like I loved to like explore the woods. We had this big forest in the backyard of my house. I was always playing in the woods and usually getting injured quite a bit um, because just you know climbing trees, falling out of trees, what have you. Is that still something that you're really connected to these days? It still, yes, definitely. Um, I'm always out hiking around here. I'm still close to the water. So that's very fun to just go out to the beach, sit on rocks and look at things for a while. Um, just, you know, I always went fishing and clamming and things with my dad. And these are still things that we all share together as a family. So it, it, it's still a special, a special part of my life. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Um, how about the choice to write this book in the first place? What kind of led to you saying, you know what, this has to happen? Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, what happened was I was actually on a hike nearby in around the, there are trails around the salt, salt marsh near here. And um, that's when Artemis came to me. And the reason I think that that happened was because I used to teach fifth grade. And one of the things we studied was the ecology of Long Island Sound. And I would bring my fifth graders to those very trails and we'd use binoculars and um, we'd have our journals to sketch in and things like that. And just watching the kids interact with nature was pretty moving. I mean, you'd see these really shy kids all of a sudden become animated. And and then the, the ones that you heard a lot from in class would just be uh, sort of quiet and in awe of everything. So I saw nature take a a hold of them like it took a hold of me. And so when I was hiking and, and Artemis sort of whispered a story into my ear, uh, she embodied things from me and from my students. And also what we talked about just a minute ago about the fear of what if we didn't have this place as a sanctuary. And so that's how 
um, all those little threads sort of wove together into what this story is about. And I saw that you also had dedicated the book to the students you teach. Because they taught me. And I mean, I definitely taught them, but every day I learned something from kids. And um, the importance of play, the importance of play and learning. Um, they were much better at being in the moment than I was um, a lot of the times. And... I just I've always been inspired by children and their their a lot of their resiliency and um their innocence and their desire to take a stand even when they're just these little people. Um sometimes they need they need help in understanding that, but they they have a an intelligence and a depth of feeling that really moves me. And has moved me. So I guess that's where all of that came from. Oh, cool. Now, um, do your students know that their teacher is also a writer? Well, I'm no longer a teacher. I'm not in the classroom anymore. I actually left the classroom. Um, we had done a lot of writing in my class. Uh, we wrote a lot of plays, actually, and performed them. And so I went back to school for uh, creative writing. And um, since then, I've been writing ever since. That's my full-time job, I guess. <laughs> so you retired from, from one career to pick up a second one. Exactly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. What would you say about writing that you enjoy so much? Like what keeps you kind of doing this? I think there are a couple things. Um, to begin with, it was a, a um, it was an outlet for me, you know, a way to a cathartic, way to express myself. And then, as I said, I, I wrote plays with my students and uh, just was fascinated about the power of words and about how um, they absorbed it all and then gave it all back on stage, you know? Uh, so I think that keeps me going. All those feelings keep me going. Um, also what keeps me go going is are the reactions to my writing. Um, the fact that people appreciate it, the fact that it's understood and, and seen to be as something helpful, but also fun, uh, all that makes a difference to me. Hmm. And I mean, I don't only write, I, I mean, my focus is middle grade books, but I've also um, written poetry, which is, is it's a fun um, sort of step out of my shoes for a while and just do some poetry kind of thing, a little break. Okay. I'm curious if your students ever influenced parts of your books, either with what they wrote or what they did. I I would say yes. Um, I've worked with kids for a long time, um, not just teaching. I have my own kids as well. But previous to teaching, I, I coached Odyssey of the Mind teams. And um, previous to that, as a young, much younger person, I babysat, which I loved because I was with kids. So... Um, Yes. The, you know, I would say that no character that I've written is an exact replica of somebody I know, but it, they're definitely bits and pieces of, of people I have met in them. Okay. Then is Artemis based partially on some one specific person? No, she's, she's a conglomerate, if that's the right word. <laughs> so there's, a, there's a lot of, of, of me and her, but also... 
um, I would say she's most mostly imagined, even though I think she sprouted from something very deep inside me and perhaps other kids that I knew. Okay. I love the name Artemis Spark. I feel like it's a very unique name for a character. Did you go through a lot of different ideas before you said, okay, this is it. This is the character's name. Artemis came pretty quickly and, you know, right at me. Um, but cause she's a Greek God, um, that, and I also taught that to my fifth graders. So Artemis came right at me and the fact that she's the goddess of the hunt and a protector of women and children that seemed to all fit. Um, this book originally was called art and war because the, her friend is Warren. And um, so it was art and war. And then when uh, I, I hooked up with my publisher, we decided that there are other, there's another book called art and war or the art of war, I guess. So we, we played around and, and came up with this. Now, I don't know, I don't know how I came up with Spark. It just came into my head and I thought Artemis Spark, that has a ring to it. So it became that. Yeah, The Art of War is pretty legendary in terms of books. I think you would definitely have a hard time, I think, getting yours to stand aside from that. But Art and War, it's a very, very powerful title. But I think um, it also speaks to, in my opinion, just my opinion, um, this is a more like action story. But from reading the description and reading a few chapters, this is not really like an action story, is it? No, it's a quieter book. I think, you know, there are middle grade books that are, and, and most of my books are quieter than the fantasy and adventure books that you would see for middle grade. Um, so it's definitely focused to a specific audience. Um, so perhaps this is a better title. Although as time goes on in the book, uh, things get a little more heated and, um, I wouldn't say that it becomes warlike, but, you know, there's some conflict. Let's it'd, put it that way. It'd be a twist. It'd be a very big twist if all of a sudden this turned into this, like, epic action story. No, it doesn't. <laughs> I mean, there's some, there's, I have to say, though, some of the conflict, it's like an undercurrent. Like, her, her friend Warren, his father is emotionally and possibly physically abusive. And though these things are not graphically depicted, there's that undercurrent. And that's pretty heavy and pretty warlike, in my opinion. So um, I guess you could look at it that way, you know, the, the conflict. Are there other undercurrents in the story? Uh, there's that. I mean, it's not really an undercurrent. Her parents are uh, separating. So she's got that in her background that's that's contributing to her uh sort of feelings of of not belonging and not fitting in and not being a part of something stable um but the biggest undercurrent would be warren's home life i would say okay all right you know what let's dive into the story then artemis is a girl who is very much in tune with, in tune with nature she communicates with animals it's really where she thrives and she learns that the shoreline sanctuary where she hangs out and talks to animals and gathers her data is in peril. It is being threatened by the very hotel where her mom works and her boyfriend is also the boss. So a lot of conflict there, a lot of like different connections. And so she conjures up the help from deceased ecologists working with the animals to untangle the clues, the family secrets 
to save the salt marsh. This is a very complex story, and I'm curious if you had to really plan this thing out prior to writing it. Well, this this took many, many years. Um, it's my first, the first com- novel that I completed, and I would say I did not plan out. And when I first started writing, I was very much into just writing and not, you know, seeing where the writing brought me or the characters or the setting brought me. And so I think what you're describing as far as the um, complicated, somewhat complicated nature of the story uh, evolves over many years. So there were many versions and um, not just edits. I mean, there were developmental things that happened to make it come this way. But that's that's the way for me writing works. Um, you know, I have a lot of people that that will read it, read for me. I have a lot of people that I brainstorm with if I'm I'm stuck or something doesn't feel right. So with the help of others, that's how it ultimately ended up like it is. And I would say in general, um, complexity in in plot and story comes to me in that way by sharing with others. I would love to know what some of the past iterations of the book were like. Was it a really different story? I wouldn't say it's totally different, but let's just say this. it changed. I changed the point of view like three times. It started out in third person, then I went to first person, then I went back to third person. And that's a big deal. I mean, that to me always just feels so onerous, having to go back in there and change everything so that it's, you know. Um, so that definitely changed. And there were a few things that I, I got feedback on that actually got cut out. Um, there was a relationship between Artemis and the cook at the restaurant. I don't think you've gotten there yet, but um, the chef, uh, they had a nice relationship going on and I thought some of the best scenes, but they weren't really driving the story forward. So we cut them. And now I'm thinking if I had to do it again, I'd probably put it in there because I thought that was a a good, an important relationship for her during this time of her life. And I could probably tweak it to make it work in the book. But I think that's a typical author feeling that give me that book back so I can, you know, I can make it better. I know this would sound a whole lot better if I did this. Oh, yeah. One thing I find is that is that for writers, there's always that one thing they won't change. The editor will say, you should toss this, and they'll say, no, it's staying in there. My foot is down. I will not I will not budge on this one. Did you have those moments where there were things that were suggested to be removed? You were like, nope, no, no, it's vital to the story. It stays. Uh, I would say that as we as I went through time with this book, I was very open because again, I hadn't didn't have this is my debut. I never published any other novel. So I was very open to those ahead of me in, in the game and also to those professionals like editors that would give me input. And um, sure, some of them gave me comments that I didn't agree with and I wouldn't follow, but others, for the most part, I would say 80% of the um, feedback I got was worthwhile, at least worth me thinking twice about, if not changing in a way to suit what their concern was. So um, like the first chapter, I think, one editor said, you know, I, I need to see more of this relationship with Warren to understand why it's such a big deal that he won't hang out with her any or anymore or vice versa. 
So um, that's how I, that first chapter changed quite a bit to give that sort of status quo before the big, you know, thrust comes with that inciting incident. I want to go back a bit to going from third person to first and then back to third. Aside from having to make all the edits, which I'm sure was lots of fun to do, how did that <laughs> yeah. change the overall flow of the story? Well, I think when I went back, when I tried it in first person, what happened was that I couldn't easily finesse what was going on in other people's uh, reflections on Artemis's behavior. And I think that's a big part of the book was she she was able to grow and change as a result of what other people were, uh, how other people were interacting with her and her, um, how she was observing those interactions. So if if in the first person, I think what happened was it closed me off too much. And, um, and I realized it, you know, once I got into trying to get it all back into first person that it just, it was stifling. That's what it felt like. It was stifling. So I went back to uh, third. But it's funny, I really enjoy reading first person now uh, in middle grade. Um, I think it really, it, it just immerses me so deeply. And my other books are in first person. Uh -huh. But this one just, this one just didn't work. Or maybe I needed to learn, you know, more about writing first person. I don't know. And that happened. Well, I think it's really an evolution as you go about, especially because this was your first book, you still had some growing to do as a writer. Do you feel like you're in a more settled place where you're like, okay, I got my flow, I got my uh, my perspective, I'm all set to for, for anything else I write? I do feel that I've grown a lot. And it's um, it's funny that you bring it up because when I first signed a contract for this book, it was a two-year wait for it to get published. And I knew it would be two years. I mean, I, she told me, but I, I'd heard that it could be 18 months from other, and I'm like, oh my goodness, two years, how am I gonna? But the two years was a great educational time for me. I learned all about publishing. You know, I taught myself a lot about, uh, you know, revising, editing, you know, networking with other people. So those two years were really important and I'm glad they happened. Um, so that said, Yes, my my writing evolved. It got to a more confident place, I think. Um, there was a lot of growth there as far as writing. Now, whether I feel perfectly placid and calm going forward with my writing now, just because I've had that growth, the answer is no. Um, I'm always thinking twice about it, but I think that's just me as a writer and probably a lot of other writers. I personally think that's a good thing because I think if you ever think, okay, I can't grow anymore, I'm at my peak, that's when you're going to make the mistakes. You should always be open to you know, perspectives and ideas and feedback that might make you think, hmm, this changes things for me. Definitely. And it's funny because um, my, I have a second book coming out in August, but the third book that I've got finished, my husband loves it. It's like his favorite book. But I can't, there's something about it that isn't right. There's something about it that needs more or it's, there's something lacking. And, um, and I've gotten really good feedback on it, but I'm not ready to put it out there. So what you say is so true. You know, I'm just, I'm not one of those writers that feel like I'm anywhere near the 
peak of my writing existence. But um, I, I wish I could get an answer to that third book. <laughs> <laughs> why can't it be perfect? What is wrong with this thing? I know it. And why can't it happen now? You know? <laughs> It's like, it's like deadlines approaching. I need to have this done yeah. now. I know. I know. I know. I have learned patience through all this. I've learned it. Not that I carry it out very well all the time, but I've learned it. Yeah. You definitely got to have it when it comes to writing, because sometimes you'll sit down in front of your computer and you say, okay, we're going to finish this chapter. And then an hour goes by and you're staring at a blank page and think, why can't I do this? Yeah. And those are the times when I have to go somewhere else. I mean, I have many things I can do. I can write a poem. I can go outside for a walk. Sometimes I have to take an even longer break, but, um, you know, for days or whatever. But always coming back to the page, it's important. I mean, the ideas come when the ideas come. And I think it's exactly. important to tr at least try and write every day. But if you get nowhere, don't worry about it. Tomorrow, maybe you'll have something better. Yeah, and I have a I have a whole folder full of stuff that didn't make the grade, you know, from those sorts of days of writing. And, and I think, but you never know. There might be parts of that that I could use somewhere. Yeah, You should always keep what you may think are the bad ideas. Um, because maybe uh, down the road, you'll think, oh, wait a minute, now this works. Or you'll come with that insight that makes you realize, okay, now this character actually matters. They can go in. Exactly, exactly. So I want to talk a little more about Artemis's character because I, I really like this character a lot. You know, she, she reminds me a bit, a bit of myself because when I was younger, I had a really bad stutter. I was more comfortable outdoors than, than around people. So I'm like, this is this is like me as a kid. Fantastic. Um, yeah. Why is Artemis the way that she is? Why is she so more comfortable around the outdoors than other humans? Because then she, she doesn't have to worry about her 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 speech or the way she presents herself, everything is very welcoming to her. Plants and animals, nature is very welcoming to her. It's a calming um, sort of balm for her to be in the salt marsh. And uh, I won't give away the chapter that's important, but um, she, she does learn that her voice is just one of many voices that sound a different way. All of our voices sound a different way. And she's also one of, of, of many who feel that they often don't have a voice um, or aren't heard or seen. So that's how her character sort of developed with that kind of personality. Was that always the goal to create a character so vulnerable? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know that it was my goal, but I have to say my characters, my main characters are very vulnerable. But I think that's what makes them fun to write is because they are vulner vulnerable, but they they have this passion and persistence, or they learn the persistence with the help of others sometime. And through that, they work with that vulnerability to, to um, evolve their strength and their, their inner powers, so to speak. So... Yeah. Okay. All right. This question might be a bit spoilery, but I am curious. With everything that's going on, Artemis literally communicating with animals, reviving the spirits of deceased ecologists. Is she magical? That is something a lot of people like to talk about. And one of the things, the way I write, I love to write books that make people wonder and question because those are the books I used to love uh, to use with my students. 
they're the books I love to read too. I love books that aren't neatly tied up. Um, so whether she's magical or not, I think is up to the reader. But my sense is that anybody can be like Artemis. I mean, she does conjure these ghosts. Now, some people just don't believe in ghosts, which is fine. But she, um, her ability to connect with nature and and creatures and plants and things like that, I think is a real um, attribute of a lot of people. I mean, I, I grew up with a mother who was so into flowers and she'd arrange them and she'd speak to each flower and... Um, if she saw a little pot of something, you know, droopy, she would speak to the to the flower. So it's oh, and she still talks to birds. So you know, I was grow I grew up around that, and I have to say, I kind of do stuff like that myself. So um, I and I don't think I'm magical. I think I just tap into. It's just the way I relate to nature, I guess, because I kind of do see it as another obviously another living thing, but almost like, um, I don't want to call it my peer, but, uh, and, and it's not another human either, but I relate to it as if it's another human, or I try to respectfully and openly relate to it. I want to know more about the ecologists. Uh, who are these people, any specific ones that really play a role in the book? The ecologists also sprang from my teaching fifth grade. And because we studied the ecology of Long Island Sound, we we ventured into, um, we used a lot of uh, picture book bi biographies of ecologists. Now they aren't all scientifically based. I mean, it could be Ansel Adams, um, whose photography brought attention to nature. So we, we broadened our horizons as to who could be called a environmentalist. Um, and so those, the ones in the book, I chose, I already knew about them because I had worked with them in classrooms, but they're less, they're lesser known uh, environmentalists, I would say. And I chose them for how they fit in with Artemis's story. So Ding Darling was a cartoonist, a Pulitzer Prize winning cartoonist. And his his cartoons used satire basically to make people understand how fragile the world is. And so he worked well because Artemis uses art to bring attention to the salt marsh. So, um, and then there's um, Simon Rodia who uh, constructed the Watts Towers in LA and um, he didn't even speak English. And so he was very um, inspirational to Artemis as far as learning how to use trash to make what people would consider trash to make artwork. So that's where those um, ecologists or environmentalists came from, was from what I knew in the past and a whole stack of picture books about various uh, great people, maybe lesser known, but still able to make a big um, impression on uh, with the work they did. You bring up a good point with what actually makes an ecologist. It's not always someone who spends time in a lab or studies things, but how would you define that term? Well, I think a lot of people uh, interchange ecologist with environmentalist, and I am certainly no scientist um, uh, as far and can't speak to the um, absolute differences and similarities between those two and whether they even should be 
swapped out for each other. But it, the way I understand it is um, environmentalism or the interest in the way we interact with our um, surroundings can um, can be applied to anybody, you know, photographer, a dancer, um, muralists. There are all kinds of, of people that uh, speak out for the nature or the environment in, in many, many, many different ways. So I think it's a broad term. Ecologists, though, I think might have more of a scientific base, but don't quote me on that. I got to look that one up. And I have looked it up. It's just I can't like get a solid answer for it. Yeah, honestly, looking at both terms, I'm not sure I would say, oh, yeah, one of these is definitely a scientist and one of these is definitely something else. I would think both would be sort of a mixed bag. Like, yes, yeah, some of them are scientists and some of them are just activists or some of them are people, like you mentioned, An uh, Ansel Adams. His photography brought this huge natural world to us. But was he a scientist? I don't think so. But still, he made an impact. Right, right. So talking about the animals, I like to delve a little more into their characters. What role do they play aside from being sort of this family to Artemis? Well, they give her clues about the environment and they, they, uh, the changes that they go through or that the, their habitat goes through uh, are clues to Artemis as to what's happening in the salt marsh and her special friend, um, RT, the bird, is the one who gives her direct feedback about the terror or the fear that he has about what's going on in the salt marsh. So that's so they they play a big role and 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 they play a big role with any human beings in any human being's life. If we just pay attention, we can see, you know, that pine tree out there is looking sickly, you know, we need to think about what to do for that. So they play they play almost like uh, they're definitely characters in this book. Oh, okay. All right. Now, this is not the only book, though. This is actually part of a series which is called uh, The Brave Girls Collection. Um, yeah, and as, as you mentioned, um, third book is on the way. Um, where does the series go? It's, it's technically, I guess, not a series because there are no repeated characters. They're all, every book has to do with a female protagonist who uh, overcomes issues and finds their voice or stands up for something they believe in or love, that kind of thing. So each of those, each of the books will have that, that kind of thrust. Why go that path? Because now you have to create a whole new cast of characters. <laughs> That's a, See, I think it's harder to write a series. That's so funny. Yeah, I mean, if you ask me what would be the next book in the Artemis Spark series, I don't know. I mean, I suppose I could do that, but somehow these other girls are coming to me and they're in different situations and um, they're getting written. So maybe it's, maybe it's easier. I don't know. Or you could have like, maybe like book four in the series, Artemis and the character from book two team up. <laughs> there you go. I could. Mm. I could. What happens in, in uh, book two? What can we look forward to? Yeah, so book two is called Jet Jameson and the Secret Storm. And Jet is a 12-year-old girl who lives in a, um, a small town. And 
she considers it very noisy, as is her home, with all with her uh, brothers that are younger than her. And she hears voices in her head. And the voices are remnants of a traumatic uh, event in her life. And she's just feeling like she's losing herself, but unable to verbalize it and and unable to get rid of those voices. So she finds sanctuary in the town library. And on the way home from the library one day, she meets the nun across the street in the garden. And this nun suggests a book to her that will that may help her. And she goes to look for the book, but it's nowhere. It's disappeared off shelves. So now she's really had it. You know, why? And nobody will talk to her about it. So she investigates and ends up getting into a um, battle with a radio show host about censorship and ultimately has to face up to the voices in her head in order to bring peace to herself and her town. Ah, so she, uh, so she takes on the media. I like that. She she does end up having to do that. Yeah, she's a little a little a little shaky doing it, but she she does okay for a twelve year old. Nice, nice. This has been mentioned with a few other characters, so I do want to ask. It seems like some of your characters have some trauma in their past. We mentioned Warren and the abuse from his parents, and Jet and the trauma that kind of leads to her hearing voices. What role does this play in shaping the characters? It makes a a big impact, obviously, because trauma in a kid's life. If it's not dealt with as a kid, if nobody listens to them, if the child feels too scared to speak of it, then all that stuff is just roiling down underneath until one day, you know, it, it explodes. So um, it's, you, yes, these characters are grappling with that. And with all the questions, um, you know, Artemis wants to tell somebody that her friend Warren is going through this, but he doesn't want her to tell. You know, so what's her place there? That's that's one of the wonderings that children will have as we discuss that book. Um, so trauma, that's one of the reasons I especially wrote the second book is because I'm just hoping that kids that have undergone trauma will learn that it's not, it's not just them, it's something very common. And uh, and if you reach out to an adult for help. For the most part, there are many adults you can reach out to for help that will help you and not feel so alone. So, and that will change the trajectory of your life if it's dealt with in an early age rather than decades later. This is personal. Tell me to shut up. It's cool. Um, <laughs> but you had mentioned at the outset of the interview that you yourself had been through some trauma. Did that inform your writing when it came to making the characters? It definitely did. Yeah, um, I would say uh, Warren, his his experience with his dad just sort of came to me. I, I that was not planned. I I'm not sure how that happened, but but Jet definitely because I yeah I'm I'm a uh, survivor of uh, childhood sexual abuse, and that's her that's her thing. So middle grade is just starting to uh, include these topics in 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 their novels. And it's been, I'd say there's a handful of very, very well-done books by very well-known authors. Um, and I am just a debut working to get this one out, but it's definitely informed by my experiences. There's nothing graphic in this book. Um, that's not the place for, for a middle grade reader at all. Um, but 
I, what I do love in the books that I have read, the few books that I have read, is that in the author's notes, the author admits, you know, I was sexually abused. And I think that's so powerful for kids to hear and to see that there's, they're not alone, that there is hope and that they're not broken and that they deserve to be seen and heard. So um, as it's, I haven't really talked that much about this in relation to Artemis, but the plan is that I will be talking about it a lot when it comes to Jet. And, and you know, the whole personal side of it, you know, putting myself out there publicly like this at first was a little scary. And then I thought, come on, you know, you wrote this book for a reason. There are many scared children out there. I'm, I'm doing it. I'm just doing it. What do you hope people take away from this part of the characters that they have gone through this trauma? I hope they take away, like I've said, that they're not alone and that there's hope. But there's also the other side of it for people that haven't gone through trauma or uh, don't know anyone that has. And that is we can't judge or, or try to understand a person's behavior without knowing their story. And um, it, with Artemis, everyone just thought she was some sort of weirdo. And in reality, she had a lot going on in her life. And the same with Jet. And I think if, if people, if the readers, if readers become more open to not being judgmental and to realize that there are things going on that we don't know about, and that's why people act the way they do. And we need to be open and receptive to them um, telling us about it if and when they're ready. I want to move on to talking about Save the Sound. Uh, you're actually donating a portion of the proceeds to this cause. What is Save the Sound and why did you decide to support them? Save the Sound is uh, a, a, a nonprofit located in New Haven and in, I think they have an office in Larchmont, New York, somewhere, oh, Westchester, New York, somewhere around there. And they've been around for over 40 years, and their mission is to protect the water and the land and the air around Long Island Sound. And I, I don't know, I've just known about them for a very long time because I did grow up on the sound. And um, it, it just, I clicked with their mission. I wanted to support them. And when I worked with my fifth graders, um, uh, exploring the ecology of Long Island Sound, we, we did uh, fundraisers for Long uh, for Save the Sound. They wrote magazines and sold them and donated the money. So I, I'm just keeping up that tradition, um, and it's 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 gratitude for all the work that they've done to take care of what I love so much and what I think so many people love so much. Hmm. All right, I want to ask about debut novels. What was it like when the release date came about? Super exciting. I loved it. Um, it it just, I mean, I'd just been waiting for it for two years. So to actually hold the book in my hand was pretty cool when the art came out. You know, that that I think was really the biggest, best thing. Um, but yeah, no, when the book came out itself on February uh, 2nd, it just, it was a feeling of thank you to my publishers for believing in the book, especially as a new a new writer, um, and also a little trepidation. You know, here it is, this 
this story I've worked so hard on is now in the public's hands. And come what may, you know, um, people love it, people may not love it. And so it, it, a lot of mixed emotions, I guess, but overall happiness. And I bet that you were also especially happy to, to learn that you were an honorable mention in the 2019 Tassie Walden Awards for New Voices in Children's Literature Competition. Now, I'm not too familiar with that particular award. Could you tell us a little more about it? Sure. It's um, uh, a town uh, next door, Guilford, has a uh, nonprofit called Shoreline Alliance of the Arts. And gosh, they've sponsored this contest for many years now. And it's for unpublished writers to submit your book. It's not just middle grade. It's it's picture book and YA. Um, and that year in 2019, uh, before I knew I'd go anywhere with this this book, it it got um, it was a finalist and then ultimately came in as an honorable mention. So it made a huge difference because it it boosted my confidence. And it and it um, inspired me to just keep working with it and go, keep going, keep querying, keep putting it out there, you know, making it better. And so I'm very grateful for that recognition and for the opportunity to even send it into a contest like that. So it was a big deal. Yeah. Okay. All right, folks. Well, we are coming down to the end of the interview. But before we go, we have been, of course, talking all about this book and the characters, but we're going to give you a little taste as to what's in store. The author is, is, is going to read a portion of the book for you. So, Kimberly, the floor is yours. Okay, thanks. So I'm going to read just the first few pages and give you a feel for a sense for the two main characters. Artemis Sparks stood at the tippy top of Fiddler's Creek Trail scanning the area with her binoculars. The entire salt marsh spread out wide below her. What used to look like a brushed green carpet last month was now a patchy quilt of dry spots and droopy grasses. It was a June that resembled winter, all dreary and brown. Up until then, this Long Island Sound salt marsh behaved in predictable, quantifiable ways. Art's field notebook entries proved it. She pointed her binoculars to the sky. RT, you up there? nothing but a few blotches of clouds. Art used her t-shirt to clear the lenses and looked again. She elbowed her friend. You see him anywhere, Warren? Nope, he said, shielding his eyes from the sun. Usually, R.T. circled around when she visited, but that day she didn't spot him. Art re refocused the binoculars and scanned again. Her hands trembled and her vision blurred. R.T., she called again. Please tell me you're all right. Silence. Art stuffed the binoculars into her backpack. Come on, she said, waving to Warren. The two trudged down the trail toward R.T.'s tree in the woods. The past couple of years, R.T. and his mate had chosen the wooden wooded area along the salt marsh for nest building. Usually wood thrushes nest much deeper in the woods, but sometimes they're forced to find a perfect place somewhere else. Grabbing onto a low branch, Art swung herself up, pulled into a standing position and hugged the trunk. R.T.'s nest, an open cup made of leaves and roots and mud, sat in the crook of a branch at our, her eye level. She peeked in, empty. Last time, there were two bald babies in here. That was a little over a week ago. No way the chicks could fly off on their own yet. Are you sure of that timeline? Maybe they're all out practicing, Warren replied. Artemis jumped to the ground. I'm sure, she said. Help me search. I thought we were biking to Sandpiper Park today. Artemis begged her, begged him with her eyes. Art, 
This will be our third official ride on a state park trail for the summer cycle challenge. We need to log nine more to be eligible for the giveaway. Summer doesn't last forever. Nothing lasts forever, Warren. I'm not giving up on winning a new bike, but right now I need to find RT. Okay then, he said. First the birds, then the bike ride. Deal. Artemis peeked under nearby bushes while Warren combed the area for feathers or clues that might point to foul play. Oh no, Art held something shiny up to the sky and examined it. A BB, pel BB gun pellet, Warren said. They picked eight more out of the dirt. Art brushed them off and dropped them into her pocket with a sigh. These BBs could easily kill birds and who knows what had happened if they ate them. Honk, honk. On the trail below, a biker sped through a gaggle of geese pedaling so furiously that in a couple of pumps, he was bound to go airborne. Art dashed down the wooden path. Art, wait up. Warren tripped over tree roots trying to follow. Just as Artemis set foot on the salt marsh trail, another biker raced by knocking her back into the brush. Warren arrived just in time to see her field notebook fly out of her hands into the salt marsh muck, scuttling fiddler crabs back into their burrows. Five feet away, the biker jammed on his brakes and Art coughed as rear tire cycled cyclone dirt around her head and torso. Brett Barlow and his twin brother, Henry. She shook her fist at him, pointing to a sign on the pedestrian bridge. No bikes allowed. Brett smirked and pushed off on his bike. You don't know nothing, crazy girl. Art picked up a twig and flung it toward his back tire where it caught in the spokes. The bike lurched and the boy caught himself before he fell. He glared at Artemis, pulled out the twig and tossed it on the ground. He pointed at Warren. Didn't know seventh graders hung out with babies who throw tantrums when they don't get their way. What a pity. His words dissolved in the summer breeze as he sped off to catch up with his brother. What were you thinking? Warren asked as he helped her brush the mud off her notebook. You know those boys will just make it harder for you, us, when school begins. I've survived this long, she looked at Warren, thanks to you along the way. This isn't a first grade fight in the kickball field. I can't hold my own against those two eighth graders. Warren, RT warned me bad times were coming for the salt marsh. I won't just sit around and do nothing. But you can't do stuff like that. We talk about not harming wildlife, but you throw sticks at humans. Plus, it's embarrassing. Nice. Very good. Very good. This is yeah. Th this has been a very good story. And one of the things I like about it is that it's definitely geared towards a, young, a younger audience, but it's not. But it is also written in a very mature manner. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, I thank you because I consider that a compliment, and I I never want to write down to kids and or speak down to them. You know, I I've just one of the questions you asked me earlier, and it reflects back on that is that you just never know what they can do, and what and and they rise. You know, you you give them bigger words or a more complicated story, and and they rise to it. So I I trust. All right. Uh, a few more questions. Um, um, looking at your website, I see you have a lot of events coming up in April, May, and June. Author readings, you're going to be um, appearing at a couple of conferences, you'll be appearing before a few schools too. What do people generally want to know after meeting you and learning about the book? Well, kid questions that come up are usually things like, uh, when did you start writing? And how, how, how long did the book take you? Um, things like that. And they, they always want to know what's next. What I'm, you know, is anything else coming up? Um, uh, why I wrote it? 
uh, is any are any of my characters based on real people or places, settings? Are they some places I've been to, things like that? All right. One thing I, I really want to know from the first reading the book, who does the art for the cover? Because it is amazing work. I love it. I know. I'm so lucky. Um, the publisher's artist did it. Um, she is just fantastic and they gave me input I told I, I had nothing to do with this but they asked me to show them covers that I liked they wanted to know the feel that I thought should be exuded on the cover uh things like that so she she did an amazing job excellent all right all right well, Kimberly, I have really enjoyed talking to you and learning about this book. It's a great story. But the big one, where do folks go to learn more about you and check out the works? Yeah, so they would, they could go to my website, which is my name, KimberlyVeraCanet.com. Um, and that that pretty much tells everything. But, I mean, I am on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, but not, you know, I'm not super prolific there. Mostly, I would say... The website is the best place to go. As a reminder, August is the next book in this series. Definitely check it out. Go to the website, get your copy of the book, print, ebook, whatever you want. Get you at your local bookstore. If they don't have it, place the order. That's what they're there for. And Kimberly, definitely looking forward to the next conversation. Well, thanks so much. This was so much fun. Hey, this is singer, songwriter, and mental health advocate Stephanie Mathias. Be sure to check out my single Hero Side, available on all platforms now. And listen to Citywide Blackout, your home for the best indie artists. And that brings this episode to a close. Thanks to everyone for listening. And be sure to follow the show on Facebook at Citywide Blackout and Twitter and Instagram at Citywide Max. You can reach me at citywidemax at yahoo.com to suggest a guest or submit music for the Blackout Collection playlist. You can find the show wherever you check out your favorite podcasts. And new episodes are aired every Saturday at 10 p.m. EST on Boston Free Radio. That's all for now, and I'll see you next time.